thank you so much for tuning into the logs. Coming up, episode 8, Pasta, oh Pasta. was a quiet night in Roma, whence I sniffed a grand aroma. To mine's mind it went, it could not be bent, from when, from where, I did not care. For this, this quiet night in Roma, I made my head, I could not bed, I could not think, I could not drink, until I found this grand aroma. The whole city I searched, neighborhoods I wandered, people I asked, and dogs I bothered. For no one could tell me from where this aroma, and its trace just took me, peeled off my soma, and water just fell right down from my stoma. Oh no, I could slip quite so into coma. I fell to my knees right near a fire, it quite hot as so my desire. A tear left my eye and fell down my face, another fell too as though they would race. But then, all a sudden, a person just there coming. He said, where'd you go? I thought that I'd lost you. Hey, look here, you want some of my pasta? And scene. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, thank you, too. Thank you. Hello, everyone. Welcome back here. I'm not entirely sure what that was, but we're going to roll with it. And on this episode, we're going to be talking about pasta. Pasta is a food that dominates some of the greatest cultures all around the world. It has a distinct flexibility to be either a mainstay in a dish or a side. This gives pasta the ability to be used in a variety of things by a variety of people. So let's explore this food, this food that permeates and connects all of us together. And what I hope we can learn is that, if nothing else, Food can always bring us together. We can always sit around a table and eat some good food with friends, neighbors, and our enemies and enjoy ourselves. So let's dig in. I've been working on that one for a while. Pretty good, wasn't it? Uh, cue the applause, please. That wasn't it. Anyway, so what is pasta? Pasta is a dish that comes originally from Italy, and it's documented to have been eaten as far back as 1154 AD, it's very likely that it could have been eaten even before then, dating back to ancient Roman dishes that featured pasta-like noodles. And what it is, as a staple of Italian cuisine, is a type of noodle. We're just going to refer to it as pasta here, just to keep it simple. And it's made typically from an unleavened dough, 
usually coming from durum wheat flour, and then you mix it with water or eggs, and then you press it and form it into different shapes, sizes, and lengths. And then to cook it, you either bake it or boil it. It's very simple, only two or three ingredients. And then it just needs a little bit of love to iron it out and, and make it into nice shapes. And we can divide pasta into two general groups. We're going to use the Italian groups since we'll uh, adhere to what the Italians have to say about pasta since they are the originators. The two broad categories are the pasta secca, or dried pasta, and pasta fresca, or fresh pasta. And you can divide that into the dried pasta is mainly produced commercially, and they produce it via an extrusion process where the machines are kind of dividing all the pasta and making it a nice even shapes. And then the fresh pasta is produced at home, generally. There can be dried pasta that's produced at home, but when you produce pasta at home, it's most likely fresh pasta. And you make it by hand or with simple machines like rollers or like a KitchenAid mixer. I don't know if that would be defined as a simple machine, but it'll still be lopped into the pasta fresca category. And if you factor in all the different kinds of pastas, fresh, dried, the different shapes, the different sizes, there are about 310 different forms, but they're known by about 1,300 names. And just looking at the math there, there's 310 forms, which is a lot of types of pasta, but there are close to four times the amount of names to identify those 310 types. So you can see even there, different cultures, different peoples have different names for what they're eating. Most of them are eating similar things within those 310 varieties, but they just call it something different. It's very easy to transfer pasta from culture to culture if all you have to do is change the name. And pasta isn't only versatile in that way. It's versatile in how it can be used in dishes, as we said in the beginning. You could have different types of pasta based on shape and size. You could have different pastas for breakfast, for lunch, and for dinner. For breakfast, you can make a simple spaghetti and scrambled eggs. Mm. You can make a linguine, which is another type of pasta, with poached eggs. And then maybe you sprinkle some veggies around there if you want to be a little bit more healthy or if you're feeling adventurous. Another cool recipe that I saw was broken lasagna sheets. Sadly, you mix it with kale and mushrooms, but there is breakfast sausage in the recipe that I saw. And, you know, it's, it's your thing there. You can substitute that stuff. Go with uh, broken lasagna sheets with some cheese, breakfast sausage. Make it your own, you know. You could do fettuccine and bacon pasta for breakfast, if that's your thing. Or you could do a nice pesto with uh, scrambled eggs. It's funny because you don't think that you can really eat pasta for breakfast, but, but it's a type of carb. You know, you eat bread and pancakes and waffles and stuff like that for breakfast. Why not throw in some pasta? It's so there. It's right there in front of us. All right, then let's look to lunch. For lunch, you could always pack cold pastas, right? Let's say if you're packing for school or for work, sometimes it's a little bit easier to pack something cold and throw it in a lunchbox than it is to warm something up. So you can always pack a cold pasta salad. You do pasta salad with veggies. You do pasta salad with beans, pasta salad with different kinds of pasta in it. You could do short pasta, long pasta, throw on a little shredded cheese. But for lunch, you could even do other types of pasta. They don't have to be cold pastas. You could do spaghetti and meatballs. And it kind of flows into dinner now. Because spaghetti and meatballs, you could also eat for dinner. You could do a mac and cheese for lunch or dinner. For dinner, you could do a nice chicken alfredo. 
or a nice shrimp scampi, a good ravioli dinner, a pasta telefono, which are actually those twisty pasta things that kind of look like a phone cord. You know, they kind of spin down like DNA. And again, we're greeted with how versatile pasta is as a dish, how you can manipulate pasta to fit whatever the situation calls for. And if we can do that in terms of breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and fitting it with everything from eggs to chicken to veggies to cheese, you can see how it can transfer from culture to culture to culture, because it's a simple dish, just a few ingredients. So we've mentioned again and again that pasta can be transferred to different cultures, so let's talk about it. Why don't we go through some cultures and some recipes and see how different people all around the world eat their pasta? And where better place to start than with Italian pasta, the classic home of pasta. And when Italians put pastas in their dishes, they categorize them under three broad categories. There is pasta en brodo, or pasta in a soup, pasta featured within a soup. Then there is pasta al forno, which is a baked pasta, usually in the oven. You can think of that like a lasagna. And then pasta asciutta, which is generic pasta that could be served in sauce, like red sauce, or some other condiments. You could throw some cheese. But you could think of that as your generic pasta. And you can see now, I don't know if you've gotten the sense yet, but Italians are very organized when it comes to food identification. And the minutia of organization gets more and more specific as you tour Italy. Because every region of Italy has their own way of eating pasta and all other dishes. Italians love making fettuccine, fettuccine pastas that are created with egg yolks, so they're very rich pastas. There is the very classic and widely known orciette, which is made with flour and water, and you could serve that with vegetables. It's usually served with broccoli. There are also, as I mentioned, very specific dishes for very specific areas. So there are towns like Emilia Romagna that are known for foods like the agnolotti. And that's a term that refers to something like a ravioli or a stuffed pasta. So even in Italy, you find a wide variety of pastas, whether it's the more expensive fettuccines or the more commonplace orciettes. And when Italians immigrated to the U.S., they brought a lot of those recipes with them. Much of the recipes that were brought over were by southern Italian immigrants. And that's where things like ravioli that you throw in tomato sauce, spaghetti and meatballs with Parmesan cheese, baked ziti, baked four cheese ziti, dishes like that came to the U.S., but they've adapted because a lot of those dishes you won't see in Italy. They've become more Americanized dishes. And then you can get the truly American dishes, like Kraft mac and cheese fuels the American spirit. And there you can see how those recipes and tastes have adapted to America and to the greater amount of cultures that are always interplaying here in the U.S. All right, so now let's tour another another culture. How about pastas that they eat in Germany? And the classic there is the Spätzle or Spätzle. And what that is is a very thick noodle, and it's made from egg, water, and flour. So it's also a very starchy and could also be quite chewy pasta. And it's a mainstay in a lot of German dishes. You can just leave it with cheese. You could do spätzle and cheese. Or you can put it in a stew. You can put it next to some sauerkraut, which is cabbage. 
You could just eat some spatzel and drink a beer. It's a very versatile pasta again. All right, let's go to another culture. What about China? How do the Chinese eat noodles? And right there, Chinese noodles. It's a big part of the Chinese diet. It's a staple in a lot of the cuisine that is served in China. You think lo mein, the dandan noodles, then there are wonton noodles or just noodles in soup. But you could also have Chinese stir fry. You can throw in a wok. You can throw the noodles. You can throw vegetables, sauces to create like a nice mixture, a nice blend of recipes and ingredients. Now this next one is something that's very close to my heart. A type of pasta I like to call Greek pasta. The Greeks love eating their pasta plain. You know, you could do a nice Parmesan and pasta, but we're not going to stick there. We're going to throw it into a pastizio. And that is a layered dish that you throw into the oven. A nice thick layer of pasta. On top of that, you throw some ground beef. Or you could just leave it plain. But you got to throw in the ground beef. You got to make it more hearty, more meaty. You throw the ground beef, cover it up real nice. Make sure it touches all the corners of the pasta. On top of that, bechamel. And for those of you that don't know what bechamel is, it's a it's a white sauce. And you make it with milk and white roux. And you kind of beat it real nice so it's nice and creamy. It's actually one of the mother sauces of the French cuisine. You can see here we're starting to get into that blend of cultures trading of recipes and foods but when you throw it on top of the pastizio you know you just gotta rub it in right on top of the ground beef you don't want to push it into the ground beef because you want that nice layering but you put it on top of the ground beef make sure it sits well and then you get a nice thick layer of the bechamel and you may think we're done you know the pan is at its peak but you've got to throw in some parmesan you've got to get it all around the top get it nice and covered because when it's going to cook in the oven that parmesan will toast up a little bit and produce a nice golden brown color and then the bechamel from underneath will bubble up a little bit and it'll give the top layer a nice bubbly crusty texture if you ever find a good pasito you'll see a nice thin crusty layer on top once you cut it crusty layer on top then you get a nice layer of bechamel very soft very creamy under that you've got the meat and then sitting just below that, a nice base of the pasta, the noodles there, just kind of hanging out, intertwined. Oh, and if you have a nice warm pastizio right out of the oven, mwah, bellissimo. Oops, that's, a, that's Italian. But it is something I would highly recommend. But that's not all that uh, Greece is known for in terms of pasta. There is also orzo, which is a rice-shaped pasta, very thin, that is typically thrown in avgolemono soup. It's a lemon chicken soup or just a lemon soup if you don't want to put chicken. Very versatile dish. So if we're keeping in mind with our categories, that would be a pasta en brodo, pasta in soup. And avgolemono soup is the cure for what ails you. If you come home with a stomach ache and you put some avgolemono soup on the cooktop, bada bing, bada boom, it's gone. I remember, I'd say as a kid, but this is a scene that still occurs today i'll come home and say hey ma you know my stomach's feeling a little funky today and instantly pot on the cooktop orzo lemon chicken broth all of it going into the pot 15 20 minutes that thing's done in a bowl your stomach ache gone so that's the greek cuisine if you can't tell i'm a little passionate about it i'd recommend it what's next 
Well, in Spain or España, the typical food that they eat in terms of pasta is the fideo, which is actually, if you don't know, uh, Spain is heavily influenced by Arabic culture because there was a good amount of time that the Iberian Peninsula where Spain and Portugal sit was under Arabic rule. So these fideos are derived from Arabic fadas, and fideos gave rise to the Italian fidelini. So the Arabic fadas influenced the Spanish fideos, which influenced the Italian fidelini. There you can see right there, look at that. One right after the other, pasta influencing pasta. It's a worldwide phenomenon. But more about these fideos, they are thin, short noodles. And you could have them en brodo, in soups. The fideos could be in something called a fideua, which is not French, it sounds a little French. It is similar to a Spanish paella, which is actually rice instead of the noodles, the short noodles that are in the fideua. And typically, it's not just the pasta, it's a lot of seafood in these dishes. So you can see shrimp, oysters, a whole bunch of different things to liven up the dish. All right, let's keep going. We're on a roll right now. Let's go to Israel. Let's see what they're cooking up there with their pastas. A big staple in Israeli cuisine is titim, which is actually Israeli couscous. So it's small balls of pasta that could be confused for rice, but it's actually pasta. Couscous is referred to as ptiptim in Hebrew. It's kind of fun to say, right? Ptiptim. Ptiptim. And it's really that. It's couscous. So any way you could eat couscous, you eat ptiptim. You could have it with veggies. You could have it plain. And in Israel, it's a very popular dish with children, I guess because the miniature pasta balls are fun and easy to eat. So what's next? Maybe we travel to Argentina. Maybe we look to Buenos Aires and see what they've got cooking there. And funny enough, Argentina has been an Italian immigration hotspot. So when you go around the city, you'll see a lot of Italian food, of course, with Argentinian flair, as we see here in America. The biggest Argentinian contribution to the world of pasta is something called a Sorrentino. And what it is, is an oversized ravioli. In the pictures that I've seen, they look about the size of pancakes. I don't know if that's a objects in mirror are closer than they appear sort of deal, but they look delicious. These raviolis are stuffed with cheese, meat, and anything else you can think of to stuff a ravioli with. They can be covered with different sauces. You can eat them more plain with just some cheese on top. It's a giant ravioli, so any way you eat a regular ravioli, you just translate it a couple times larger to the Sorrentino. And now if we just hop and skip over the Rio de la Plata, we'll end up in Uruguay, which is our next hotspot for pasta. A big dish in Uruguay is the nachi. And the nachi is based in a noodle-like flour and potato dumpling mix. And they're kind of little round balls, not to the minuscule size of the tiptim or Israeli couscous, but they are a smaller ball-shaped pasta. And these are eaten with veggies. They could be eaten with red sauce. And they're a very important dish in Uruguay. Near the end of the month, on the 29th day of the month, it's a day called Nochi Day, or Dia de Nochis. And during that day, the 29th day, it's tradition to serve Nochi at home and at restaurants. And it's been a tradition for many generations in Uruguay, because near the end of the month, for those working families, money would start to run a little thin. And around that time, they would eat 
these cheaper to make or buy noche noodles. And it would be a nice hearty dish to stave off hunger until the next paycheck where more proteins could be bought by the families. And since then, it's become a tradition. So the 29th of every month in Uruguay is the Dia de Noquis. And a lot of families have the tradition of putting money under the plate to retain prosperity for another month until the next Dia de Noquis. In Japan, a type of pasta called the ramen noodle is very popular. I know our perception of ramen is a little bit distorted in the U.S. thanks to Maruchan. But what ramen is, is an iconic pasta in Japan. It's usually served in a soup, and it's seasoned with soy sauce. And then it could be topped with, traditionally, topped with green onions, pork, and seaweed. And it's a very nice, warm, cozy dish in Japan. In Thailand, you can order a very popular dish called Pad Thai. And that's something that's becoming very popular now in the U.S. and other Western countries. But the Pad Thai in Thailand is a street food usually. And it's a stir-fry that has noodles, eggs, tofu, palm sugar, garlic, shallots. You could throw chicken or shrimp for some protein. And then if you want to spice it up, you use chili flakes and other seasonings. And it's a nice blend of the noodles with all these other ingredients that are integrated into the pasta dish. In Vietnam, a very popular soup-based pasta dish is the pho. And it's a soup. It's made with broth, rice, and the noodles integrated in the soup are called banh pho noodles. On top of that, you can throw some meat, various spices. The top of the soup can be garnished with other things like beans, sauces, chilies, scallions. And it's also a very nice warm dish, a dish that brings warm comfort to a lot of Vietnamese families in Vietnam and all around the world. But this is true of pasta everywhere. Pasta is a dish, whether it's the main part or an aspect, its integration into food is a comfort to many, many people. Its versatility allows it to be integrated in so many things, so many cultured cuisines that become a part of a person's life. I mean, you heard my passion over pastizio and orzo. Now imagine a German's passion to spatzel or a Vietnamese person's passion for pho. It's a passion because these are the dishes that you come home to after the long days, after the cold days, stressful days. These are the dishes that you sit around with, with family, and you enjoy while you also enjoy them. In a lot of cases, as we saw in the case of Uruguay and their nokis, Pasta could be considered a poor man's dish because it's three simple ingredients, eggs, flour, and water. And you can craft that into something that becomes a staple in a person's life. This reminds me of a movie called Ratatouille. Have you seen that movie Ratatouille, Disney Pixar's Ratatouille? It's one of my favorite movies, and it's just stuck with me so weirdly. In one scene in particular, where Anton Ego enters with his creepy form, very skinny, bluish tint to his skin. You can tell he's the evil guy. He enters Chef Gusteau's restaurant, and he sits down, he waits for his meal. Now in the movie, Ego is the food critic, so he sits down to eat and rate the food that is served at Gusteau's restaurant. And it's kind of funny, the play on words, Anton Ego, and he's a critic, Ego critic. And then the meal that the now rat chef Remy decides to serve him, it's a little weird if you haven't seen it. So the meal that he decides to give him was a classic French dish 
called ratatouille. What ratatouille is is a vegetable dish. It's thought to have come from Nice, France. And it's a dish that a lot of French families understand because it's that typical poor man's food, if that's the right way of explaining it. Very hearty sort of food that is built with love and built with care to feed working people. People that understand that life takes work. So Remy, the rat chef, cooks up this ratatouille for Antonigo. And I remember the scene distinctly where he just sticks his fork into the ratatouille and grabs up a couple pieces of vegetable and he eats it. And then he's instantly teleported back in time to when he was a child on a farm and his mom serves him that dish in a nice bowl and you can see the steam coming up. And then he comes back, back to Gusteau's restaurant. He writes something down and then he leaves. And that's what these dishes do. That's what these pasta dishes do because they transport us back in time to the children that we were. The dish is more than just what the pasta is. The dish defines real people in the real world all over the world. In many cases, pasta represents people that don't have as loud a voice as others. Pasta can be thought of the commonplace dish. It can also rise up and be a grand, very expensive dish at high-class five-star restaurants all across the world. And this is where Anton Ego was operating. He was at that five-star range. Gusteau's restaurant was a very high-class restaurant in France. But after he tasted the ratatouille and he was teleported back in time, and of course Gusteau's got shut down because there were rats in the kitchen, there was a new restaurant open, a very small family store called Ratatouille. And it was operated by people not for critics or for public reception. It was operated for people, by people, people that work for their lives. And it was that restaurant that Anton Ego would go and eat at every week. And the movie ends that way. It ends by showing people that work for their lives, work for something that they enjoy. And I hope that's what we've demonstrated here today, that pasta is something that fuels the human spirit. And although it's versatile enough to be transcended up to the high-class food level, that's not as fun to explore. Because who cares what a pasta dish that is served with like two individual noodles of pasta with some weird garnishings around it. Because you're not really eating anything. There's no substance there. It's more important what it looks like at the surface level instead of how it makes you feel. It's pretentious pasta. It doesn't stand by its own morals. It doesn't stand by the memories that it can cause and the feelings deep inside that it can inspire. It's more fun, and I think more important, to see what actual people eat all around the world. To look at pasta and brodos, to look at pasticios, to look at spatzel and fideos. Because this is the food that is fueling the people that are powering the world. It's for people that work throughout their lives to provide things for their families. Things like pasta, but also very important things like a home and a hope for the future. Because I think it's more important when pasta represents the blue-collar worker. The person coming home after an incessant day of work, and then they sit down at the dinner table with their family, enjoying pasta, talking about their day, putting on a brave face for his children, and mustering a smile, listening to them, all the while knowing that the next day it's going to be the same thing all over again. But maintaining the hope that his kids will see a brighter tomorrow. And pasta also represents those people seeking those better lives in the process of learning and educating themselves, the students. You can see a student in their dorm room studying throughout the night, only quickly pausing to throw in a cup of maruchan ramen noodles 
into the microwave, setting it for two minutes, and then quickly hopping back into their books, maintaining their review for tomorrow's exam. Because pasta represents people that are building their lives towards something more, or trying to make life better for their families. And to do so, they need fuel. They need hearty dishes that pack as much physical energy as they do emotional energy. Because food can bring us together. When we sit around a table and we enjoy a meal, we share. And we care about those sitting across from us. So I think the best way to close out this episode is the way it started. Is with another ode to pasta. But one not so sad as it was in the beginning. Because now we know all the great things of pasta. The great features it has in combining all of us together. So here is O Pasta. O Pasta, you come from Rome. Though funny it is that you feel like home. Wherever I am, there you are. At a school or an eatery, you never are far. So many looks do you have and flavors combined. The best part of all, so easy to find. Salad and sandwich, you have them each beat. Pasta, oh pasta, oh you, I could eat. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Logs, a podcast dedicated to understanding. Please subscribe so you're notified of new episodes and find us anywhere you find podcasts. And please remember to laugh a little. here is the last word. Thank you. Well, that's actually two words, but they are something that make all the difference. So I thank you for listening to this episode and staying with me through this journey. So please stay tuned and remember to say thank you.